Welcome to Nothing Ventured with me, Arish Shah. This is the podcast where we explore the people and stories that make up the tech and venture ecosystem. Don't forget to subscribe, like, rate, and share the podcast because it really helps us get the word out to more people who are curious about understanding even more about the world of venture capital. This season of Nothing Ventured is sponsored by Odin. Odin helps angels, VCs, and founders to raise and deploy capital seamlessly. You can structure your SPVs and now run your funds, handle capital calls, portfolio management more smoothly and easily in one place. Founders use Odin to raise their entire round in a few clicks by simply sending investors a link and receiving investments immediately. Odin works with over 5,000 investors and over 150 emerging fund managers and angel syndicates globally. Head to joinodin.com to learn more. That's J-O-I-N-O-D-I-N.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Nothing Ventured with me, Arish Shah. Today, I was super excited to have on the podcast with me, Matthew Stafford. Matthew is a co-founder of Nine Others, a series of dinners held once a month in the UK and around the world, bringing together small groups of entrepreneurs in a casual but intimate environment to explore the issues they confront from time to time. From these dinners, he and his co-founder, Katie Lewis, authored Find Your Nine Others, a series of lessons and essays from a decade of hosting these dinners. Matthew has also been angel investing over the last 10 years by his personal vehicle, Stafford VC. In today's episode, we talk about building a safe space for founders to talk about their challenges, why you need to build your network before you need it, choosing not to build nine others into something that would scale in the way we would think about scale, and not buying something if you're being sold to. Let's get straight into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Nothing Ventured with me, Arish Shah. Today, I'm really excited to have with me in the studio, Matthew Stafford. If you haven't had a chance, do check out a primer episode where we talk about pheasant beating, amongst other things. Um, but for the meantime, Matthew, great to have you here in the studio with me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Very good. Great to see you. Amazing. Let's dive straight in. So I was struck whilst reading Find Your Nine Others, how similar the stories and learnings that surfaced throughout the book from a huge variety of founders were to my own experiences, both as a founder or someone has operated in startups for the last sort of eight, nine years. But there is something to be said for having that network of peers experiencing similar things as others have throughout their entrepreneurial journeys. Was this what you expected when you started hosting the dinners? And give me a sense for the value you think participants take from attending. Well, in the beginning, we knew that entrepreneurs and founders were facing similar challenges that they didn't really talk about. So we wanted to create a safe space where they could um, share those challenges and try and help each other out. So I think that was our idea from the beginning, mm. was like that that might be useful if we can get the people around the table to help the people around the table. Um, I guess there's always a, there's always a, a challenge there in that outside of the right environment and even in that environment you may find people slightly hesitant or reluctant to 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 share right because it's a very personal you know if i'm a founder and i'm struggling to make payroll this month is that something i want to discuss with nine you know nine other people yeah true which is why in the early days and in even now you know we'd meet everybody before they came along so nine other started and still kind of is a bit of a side project for 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 katie and me so we both and and some of this was 
planned. Some of it was just an accident of the circumstances at the time. So at the time, you know, we both had full-time jobs. Mm. So we wanted to do Nine Others on the side and thought it would be useful. Um, and we thought, well, let's do, you know, let's do one. So we did. And then that went well. So we thought, oh, well, let's do another one, you know, the next month. So it turned into us hosting it about once a month. Mm. And that was about right for our full-time jobs. So that was all great. And we were, you know, we were both in the venture uh, business. Katie was working for a different VC, um, but we were meeting founders, you know, all day long anyway as part of our day jobs. Um, and so we'd get to know these people. So we, we you know, we, we say it's kind of loosely curated. So we meet people before they come along to Nine Others. And then, and then you just got to set the rules of the game. Um, and if we, when meeting someone or introduced to someone, you, you can kind of get a sense as to whether they're going to come along and they're going to contribute. Um, because the kind of rules of the game nine others are, you've got to share that challenge that's keeping you up at night. And also there's no hierarchy. So you're not going to come along and hear from, you know, somebody who's been there and done it um, and, and been super successful before. You're going to hear from people who are, you know, maybe six months ahead of you or a, yeah. a bit behind you or the around trenches. about the same, you know, the same the same place. So we want people that are going to come along and contribute. They're going to share their challenge and they're going to help the other people. If we if we got the sense that someone was just there for or going to come along for, you know, what they were going to take out of it, you know, they want to come along and hear all the answers, then they wouldn't get an invite. Um, and because we were only doing one a month and because we'd limited it to 10 people um, and two of those people were Katie and myself, then we had to find, you know, eight people maximum. So, you know, that sort of thing wasn't that hard. Mm. Um, and it allowed us to focus on you know, getting the right people along. And, and then that sort of, you know, set the scene and, you know, month after month, year after year, um, that's what you get the reputation for. And it, and it sort of, you know, appeals to the right kind of people that that would fit into that. Um, and when you talk about founders, are you talking about predominantly technology business founders? Are you talking about people who, who founded an agency for argument's sake? Or like is, because again, there will be different challenges in in different types of businesses, bootstrap versus you know externally yeah. uh, funded and so on and so forth. Like so, how how's that work? Because you know you are essentially curating these uh, dinners. Like to your yeah. point, you're meeting the, the 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 participants beforehand. You're vetting to make sure that they will contribute, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yeah, how does that work? You... Um, I mean, particularly in the early days, it was probably mostly techie founders. Um, doing tech startups because that's the kind of world we were in mm. but we never again I think it's important to kind of trust your gut as well which we do a lot and it never felt right to theme the mm. dinners even though you know a lot of smart people told us that that might be a good idea um, but now that never felt right and then there was one dinner and I can picture it exactly where it was in early 2012 and there was a few you know techie startups they had an app they had this they had that um, and there was a guy who um, started and grew um, coffee shops hmm. so he started with one and he ended up with 20 odd wow. and he was at that dinner and he was the best value he was brilliant because he cut through all the crap of oh I haven't got my you know I'm not technical enough to do this so I need to hire a technical co-founder to do that um, and he cut through all the crap and he said look it's about you know getting money in the door and watching what you spend and it's about getting the right people in yeah and that was just like that made us click and that made us ah, that's why it didn't feel right because we you know i think having having um a variety of people uh share their challenges and try and help out 
is is far better than than all techies. So it's not you know it's not about any particular type of business. Yeah. Um. And and it's really from that early dinner that made us think. Yeah, that's what it's going to be. I, I think there are lessons to be learned from. I mean, I I I think my entire, well, certainly my business, but essentially the way I approach life has been built off the back of all the things I've done up until now, which has been corporate, it's been manufacturing, it's been trading, it's been property, um, you know, and, and then and then tech and venture. Um, and actually some of the most valuable lessons that I've learned that have been transferable into kind of the venture world, especially as a CFO, as, as I have been in the past, now running obviously a team of CFOs, the most valuable Le lessons that I learned were actually in these manufacturing businesses <laughs> dealing with you know complex working capital flows and inventory management and figuring out you know how to extend working capital cycles how to you know get the banks on board and build out models for them to yeah. fund f further growth which you know I, I think when you're in a software business yes there are definitely challenges um, but there's less there are fewer operating challenges let's put it that way uh, or that that's probably also the wrong way of putting it. There's there's fewer day-to-day uh, -day operating challenges in managing the operations as compared to say you know a physical goods type of business, and actually it's really interesting the parallels that you can draw between you know let's say an inventory business or a, ma a manufacturing business and a software business, right? Completely, and it's about you know sometimes it's it, you know it's really really helpful to simplify things. Mm. So if you're talk if you're a technology business and you happen to talk to somebody in the manufacturing or completely different sector you know they're more likely to ask hang on a minute what run that by me again what you know what you're what you want about there and you're you know you're forced to simplify things and re-explain things mm. and i think any idiot can complicate things but to get it really really simple is really really useful for yourself and i think that with the coffee shop chain guy uh, in amongst a you know, mostly uh, techie startups was uh, was was a genius bit of accident that happened. Um, so that's made us think. You know, you, yes, they are probably mostly techie businesses, but actually, it's more about the people and the person behind yeah. it, and um, you know how they conduct themselves and what they're going to do than what business they happen to be doing. Because you know, we've seen people succeed and fail and go around again, and you know everything in between. Um, over the years, and it, and it's always always comes back to the you know the the you know that is that person are they interesting are they mm. useful are they going to contribute and that's why they get invited back and that's why they come back it's not really what what they happen to be doing at the time yeah it, I I think and and that is essentially the you know the challenge and the beauty of a community sort of mm. type business or offering uh is that the community is only as strong as the people in it and mm. the people in it have to be willing to contribute to that community to, yeah they have to make to the most success. of it yeah. and i think in the early days again i was a bit guilty of thinking oh crikey i've got to do everything for these people that came i've got to you know help them here there and everywhere and try my best and if it if i don't then that's you know my bad um but actually as it grew and grew yeah, people. It, the community is there for people to make the most out of it, and and some people really do in the right way, and um, it's fantastic to well, see. It, de it definitely but shines. Not... It definitely shines through in the book. I mean, oh, you, you can see, you can see the value that. So, and I I know some of the people that were were mentioned in the book. Um, uh, one I'll mention in particular, Vivi Frigut. I I oh, she good. was one of the first people I met outside of my own tech business or the not my own but the tech business i was working with at time eat and x so we were in the same office space in london bridge uh i i think i even featured in a microsoft ad that she did for the service <laughs> at some point but anyway um but yeah like you know i 
she and I clicked because um, she was, you know, we were, we, but she was a very friendly person. We were sitting having coffee or, or standing by the coffee machine, rather, realized she had an Aussie accent. I'd spent time in Australia. We kicked off a conversation and, you know, things kind of flowed from there. Um, and you can tell the sort of people that will be, um, you know, forthcoming but also non-judgmental, mm. which I think mm -hmm. must be a massively important mm -hmm. kind of part of it as well, mm -hmm. right? This season of Nothing Ventured is proudly sponsored by Emerge One. Emerge One provides fractional CFO support to venture-backed tech startups and scale-ups. They work with businesses from C to Series B that have been backed by some of the UK, US, and Europe's best venture capital funds. They provide support from capital allocation and management, KPIs and reporting, fundraising support, financial modeling, investor relations, and investor management. Come check them out at emergeone.co.uk when you're scaling fast and have need of a CFO. Um, on a related point, as you say, your success requires the aid of others, but often entrepreneurs find themselves bereft of those support systems in their in their day to day. So what would you say to founders that are struggling with issues, right? Because how should they think about building out their own networks and, and, and that, those sort of teams of people support them? Because obviously not everyone can attend a nine others. Nine others by its very nature is, you know, only 10 people. Um, so how would you recommend to others that, that you know, who aren't maybe able to, to attend the, the dinners? How, how should yeah. they build out that support? Um, well, I always keep banging on about that people should build their network before they really need it. And I think that's the thing. Like, again, going back to the kind of founders having facing challenges and hopefully Nine Others helps in, in, in that in some ways um, across the years. You know, if you're doing a company, if you are a founder, if you're working in a business facing some of these challenges, it's going to get hard. Mm. It's going to get really, really, really hard. Um, and you're probably going to want to give up or be under pressure to give up. You know, that's not the time to try and, I mean, you know, if you haven't done it before, then okay, fine. But that's not the time to really try to start to build your network. So the things that can solve those challenges when it inevitably gets really, really hard are going to be other people. Mm. Um, so I think it's really important to, to to start now and to try and build that network of, you know, trusted counsel, essentially. Um, and if you haven't got that then make a plan to start it. You know, I started Nine Others because it wasn't around. Mm. Um, I had coffee with someone very early this morning and um, she was sort of saying that, you know, she, she wants to find some interest, more interesting events in London. And I was like, well, if you're up for doing like a lunch with half a dozen people, you know, I'll come along to that and invite a couple of people. And, you know, of a certain type or a certain sector or whatever, just begin. Mm. Um, and if you can find one, uh, you know, partner in crime like I did with Katie, then, um, yeah, just structure it a bit, put a stake in the ground and say, you know, we're going to have, I don't know, lunch for six. Uh, we're going to talk about X. And, you know, nothing happens immediately. Mm. But if you keep doing that, all of a sudden, six months later, 18 months later, three years later, you know, you'll have a phenomenal uh, network of support. Yeah. So, you know, do that kind of thing. Um, be a connector, I guess, which is what I am. Um, and Katie is because we thought well if we if we connect people they'll definitely go off and, 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 and do interesting things mm. and that'll be fantastic if we keep doing that then you know eventually some of that might benefit us um, so it's a good idea to be a connector and not expect anything in return that builds a lot of trust and value and such like um, or if you're not that kind of type well get to know a connector 
So we all know those people who really well, like to connect two, there's people. There's two in the room right here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <sure>. so, you <laughs> know, reach out and, uh, you know, offer them something, say thanks, uh, get to know them uh, over, over time. But you've got to be patient. You know, it does take time. But build that up before you really need it because when the problems do hit, it's going to be other people that are going to help you through it. Yeah, I think I think there's, uh, again, two things that come out of there for me which, which really massively resonate so one is that kind of give before you get and and also trust in serendipity i guess so you know i I get very upset with what i call transactional people people who kind of you know straight away either trying to sell you something or want something from you but you know you kind of have to court people and gain their interest and their trust and and build you know that mutual uh affection almost for for each other you know before you should even entertain maybe asking right and i would suggest for the majority of the kind of relationships that i've built that there has never been an ask um but the second thing and this is this is why i was sort of smiling along as you were talking there is i i think it's my pinned twitter post which i wrote about you know um how i how i built my network um uh, of eight of, of investors right so i, I essentially i found investors before i even thought or knew or considered or was even planning mm-hmm. to go out and build a business that required investment and you, you know that is about literally just being helpful honest uh starting a dialogue you know trying to understand the other person seeing what their you know what their needs are um what makes them tick and and just just being a human being and mm-hmm. i think I think that's the other thing that I love about kind of the nine nine others um, uh, 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 structure is that it is human beings talking to human mm. beings. It isn't a community on a WhatsApp or on a Slack mm. group or whatever. It is physical people talking to physical people. Yeah. Uh, and I think when you get when when you understand those human connections well, without expectations, you see wonderful things flowing flowing out from them in the future. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, begin and, and just like as we've talked about, um, you know, sometimes people say, OK, that's all great. Build your network before you really need it. But how? And um, I think the worst thing you can do is ask someone if you can pick their brains <laughs> or, you know, maybe, you know, take them for coffee. You've got something to run by them. Just just forget that. Right. That might be stage five or six. Sure. Um, you know, in the beginning, if people are interested in how to build that kind of network, just reach out to people you admire, aim high, and just thank them. Mm. You know, if they've done something that you think is really great, just say thanks. Mm. This is really good, and this is why. That's it. You know, I've met some amazing people over the last few years, some, like, world-leading famous people, and it started off by, I'd just say thanks Mm. um, for a few things. And some of them lead nowhere, some of them lead everywhere. You know, you can never predict what's going to happen with who where and when Mm. um but that's kind of how you can begin just be like nice and genuine and grateful and tell people i i decided to take it one step further so i recently set up office hours because i was getting so many random requests on linkedin for kind of advice or Mm. or you know what do i think about or can i look at this pitch deck or you know how do i raise money today and all this sort of stuff and i said well you know what okay like it is not particularly uh valuable useful or scalable for me to do this on linkedin um 
in in the sense of you know my 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 dms are a complete mess like the messaging service on linkedin is probably the worst on the planet um and so i set up these office hours and i was actually really surprised i think i've had it's only kicked off from this month or from next week actually uh and i've already had sort of five or six people sign up for for 50 minute chats great idea um and i i think for me it's i'm on the other side of that coin now in the sense that okay I wouldn't consider myself a massive success, but I would consider myself successful in the things that I do do and that I have done, whether it's this podcast and newsletter, the, the business that I've built. Um, but I've always had this sort of passion. Like it's been one of my core principles is how do I help others? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, even the business that I built is about how do I help others to, to both founders as well as their businesses to scale. And I, and I just think that, okay, if you have something that you want to ask me over 15 minutes, I can I can find 15 minutes in my day yeah. uh, to do that. And hopefully, with no expectations on my side, so mm. that isn't anything about business development um, or anything else. It's it's just about how do I get back? And hopefully, what I hope will happen with those, those offices, exactly as you said, is over time, there may well be things that come back because you never know who you're going to talk to today and where they'll be tomorrow and and it, and what that it completely will. And this was it with nine others. It was you know inspired by one one particular person. It was who was exactly that. You know, try and be helpful. You know, become known as the helpful person. Mm. Um, and if you do that and don't expect anything in reply in in return, then you know it can't help but work out. So that's kind of what we started with. And I've been th- you know I thought recently it would be a bit weird if nothing came back. Yeah, right? really weird. If nothing happened and I'd hosted nine others dinners, you know, roughly once a month for nearly 12 years, yeah. it'd be a bit strange if nothing happened. I mean, that if, would be the that would be the weird thing. If nothing else, I mean, presumably some of the investments you've made have come out of Yeah, yeah, uh, well, founders well, you've well, met at those dinners. Virtually all of them. Yeah. And, and it, you know, at worst, I get to go and have dinner with like nine other really interesting people yeah. once a month. I mean, that's the reward in and of itself. If nothing else happened but that, that would be pretty good. Um, but now, you know, everything comes from that. I, I That's essentially why I set up this podcast is so that I can have great conversations mm. one-on-one with people. Which, like, you know, you and I may have been able to carve out an hour of our day and had, ha- have a chat just generally, um, but not everyone can. However, yeah. someone coming on a podcast, you know, there, there's something in it for them as well. They get, yeah. you know, a little bit of brand exposure and so on and so forth. And I get to have amazing conversations with people, <laughs> um, you know, uh, sitting sitting around this beautiful studio. Um, so we talked a, quite a bit about how Nine Others started and, and what sort of fuel that. But where do you see it going uh, to some extent, you set it up so that it isn't something that scales in the traditional way or in the way that we traditional, traditionally think about scaling, at least in the venture and sort of tech ecosystem. This this actually feels more like a feature, though, of Nine Others than a bug, right? It, it, it feels to me that if this were to scale in, in the way that we think about scale, actually would lose some of its attractiveness. Well, well that's why we haven't done it. Mm. But that's been really difficult I mean, not anymore, but in the first few years, that was really hard to grapple with mm. um, because, you know, we were doing these dinners, they were filling up, people loved it. So I was told by some very smart people and some other very smart people with money that they were going to offer it to us to build it into something that would scale. Mm. You know, more dinners, more people, um, you know, membership, subscription, bigger events, uh, all that sort of stuff. And it just didn't feel right. And I felt really stupid for um not pursuing that like am i the, some sort of chump that should have done that um but then you know as time's gone on uh yeah it is it actually yes that is a that is a feature and i think if we did um 
you know try to do 20 dinners a night with 20 people it would just ruin it and it would spoil it um and it'd be exhausting <laughs> so so no it's not scaled in that sort of way and now um but yeah, it it's has, deliberate. But it has scaled in the sense that it's now being run in other countries, which yes, presumably that's true. That was very aren't yeah hosting those dinners. No, no, we've done it in uh, nearly fifty cities around the world, oh, including Port Moresby in oh, Papua really? New Guinea. Yep, I I would lo- I I know it's Shannon House. I'd love to know who was at that dinner <laughs> because I I can guarantee you I probably know like fifty percent of the people. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, you know, and that's been tremendous. You, you know, and we thought when when that happened, you know, we we did question ourselves you know what does scale look like um because recently you know not long after we started nine others i think the following year there was a y combinator company mm. called grub with us oh yeah and it was going to come to london and i was like shitting myself because i thought oh well they're gonna you know steal out. everything from yeah. us and wipe it out we should be that not them um but then they very quickly uh, came and went and died and i think every other sort of you try to industrialize what we do it doesn't work they just turn into event companies yeah and that's fine mm. people can run event companies and some of those will be very very successful but if i ran that kind of company it would not be successful <laughs> because i'm not that kind of person you know you've got to have that founder product fit or whatever people talk about mm. um however we did you know think about in those early days and you know throughout 2012 what scale would look like for us and there were people from the dinners um you know their challenge was oh i'm going to you know new york next week or i'm going to sydney i've got customers in uh wherever you know does anybody know anyone there and that made us think well hang on a minute do would you know do do we think there are people in other cities around the world who are a bit like us and might want to run nine others on the side um and then at one of these sort of planning sessions uh katie said great yep that'll do let's do 12 in the next 12 months and so we put it in 12 cities in the next 12 months from the summer of 2012, and it's gone up to, you know, nearly 50. Um, you know, some of them are a bit pop-up, some are a bit come and go, depending on what's going on in the in the, in the the host's life. Because, um, you know, it takes a bit of work. Uh, but yeah, it's happening. It's happened all over the place, and, and, and it's just been tremendous. No, I, I think it's lovely. And I, I, I'm a big fan of things that don't scale traditionally. Mm. I mean, like even if I think about my business, it's predicated on the fact that we have quality CFOs, providing quality services to VC-backed companies. If you think about that, what that means is that VC-backed companies, there is a very narrow uh, range of companies that that fit into that space. If you think about great CFOs, there's probably a narrow sort of cohort of of people that are, are great CFOs, and there's a narrow cohort of those CFOs that are fractional. And therefore, for me, scale would actually be antithetic to to what I'm trying to build. Because yeah. for us, for me, quality sits at the very top of that pyramid. Um, and if you scale, you actually naturally would naturally have to give up uh, some of that quality, which which I wouldn't be willing to do. So I think people have to be comfortable with what is right for the business, not the ambition. Like it's it shouldn't be about the ambition to scale or not scale. It should be what is right for the business. Yes. Uh, and or or for the for, for, for the you know for, for the product or the service or whatever it is that you're providing, um, and I for me personally I, I I I would certainly suggest having heard only what you've told me and what I've read about nine others that I would since and having worked in a couple of events businesses myself I would suggest that you would lose so much of the value that comes out of those intimate settings well, with those few people exactly and this is why you know again some some people. Um, some smart people told us that we should get sponsors mm. for the monthly dinners 
and we'd make loads of money because you know such and such a law firm bank accountant firm would love to get in the room with all these sorts of people and we were like nah that's not right because then it just becomes about bums on seats well, this is this, so, and, so. So the events company I worked at had that model, and what ended up happening was the community they built. They need to churn because every time they ran an event, let's say KPMG was a sponsor, KPMG didn't want the same people at right. the next event, and so you you don't build the community. What you're doing is feeding yeah. you're feeding the sponsor. Yeah. And if that's the kind of business you want to run, and you're good at it, fine. great, you yeah. can be fine. But that just didn't fit with me for nine others. So that's you know we didn't we didn't do that. Yeah, well, I'm very glad you didn't. Uh, as I <laughs> well, said. it wouldn't be here if we had. It would have failed. <laughs> um, right, so let's move on from Nine Others for a second um, because you're also quite a prolific angel investor. Um, uh, you have a hard and fast rule as an angel that you'll never invest if it's the first time a founder is pitching to you. Can you talk me through that thought process and why you stick with the rule? Because surely it means that occasionally you will miss out on a great deal at an earlier stage or is that a risk you're happy to take? And what are you looking for when you're evaluating an investment? Yeah, okay, so that's not quite the rule. Uh, The rule is if I meet someone for the first time and they are pitching for Ah, money, I won't invest in that round. Yeah. And this is uh, a rule I've learned and slightly adapted from um, a, an amazing investor and uh, person I know called Guy Spear, mm. who uh, is in the value investing world, so the, the kind of Warren Buffett world. And his thing is he doesn't want to buy something that's being sold to him. And that's the point. Like, if I meet a founder for yeah. the first time and they're pitching, they're selling shares. Yep. And I'm not good enough to decide whether that person, which is the most important thing in the early stage startup investing i'm not good enough to figure out whether that person's going to make it based on their sales pitch that they've just done to me Mm. so i immediately say no Mm. um the downside of the pros and cons to every approach but the downside of that is you're absolutely right i will and i have missed out on loads of amazing opportunities at a better price um but i'm comfortable with that Mm. because i think i would make more mistakes than i would hit winners um and once i once i sort of share that rule with the founders you know, one of two things normally happens, right? Either they disappear. In which case you knew you made the right choice. Well, and, and I, you know, that's all fantastic. And I wish them well and maybe maybe wildly successful and I'll not be part of that. But that's okay. There's loads of successful companies that I won't be part of. And that's fine. So go off, make millions and that's great. Um, or they kind of relax a bit. And then we can talk about other things, mm. you know, rather than what they're trying to sell. So we can talk about life and where they grew up and what their first job was and all that sort of stuff. Um, and they know that they're not pitching anymore. Mm. And I'm quite clear, like I, I tell them the rule and if they're better off, you know, I don't, don't waste anyone's time. So if they're better off going and finding other prospects, then yeah, crack on. Um, but then we might get to know each other. And then over the course of the next few months or even years, they might come to nine others. I might get to know them a bit more. They'll get to know me a bit more. You know, if if it is on an amazing, if the business is on an amazing trajectory, then, you know, they'll get that round done uh, without me. Uh, so that's fine. And um, if it's really, really going places and we like each other and all that sort of stuff, then maybe they'll do another round in the future. And then I can make, again, a very, very quick decision or even, which I've done before as well, a preemptive offer mm. to invest in the company. And generally, because we've built up this non-investor relationship beforehand, um, I can get my money accepted where others wouldn't. And I think that's why I do the rule. And it's really, really difficult to stick to it. Um, But I'm getting more and more comfortable with sticking with it. I, I really love that. I think it's one of the things that I struggle with a lot because for some for some reason... 
people seem to think that I have lots of money to invest, which I don't. <laughs> um, although I'm I'm working on it. Um, but but obviously because of the stuff that I do, mm. uh, I, I guess there is that that expectation, or maybe that assumption. Um, and I hate being sold to. Like I absolutely detest it. The, the 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 for me the worst thing you could ever do is send me a LinkedIn message saying either you know, we're a lead gen agency. How would you like 10 more leads in your business? Or, or I'm looking to raise investment. Can I send you my deck? Or actually, as has happened to me on several occasions, an in-mail saying we're creating an innovative business in uh, in in the payment space or not even giving us, we're just creating an innovative business. We'd love to have you on board. Um, let's set up a call. And I'm like, we've told me nothing. I know nothing about you. I know nothing about your business. You haven't even sent. How know. does anyone think that works? Maybe it does work for if you, put it through enough at the wall maybe some does stick but I, I just don't get it and yeah i'll miss out on some amazing companies but i'd make way more mistakes than i mean uh, having looked at your portfolio i think you're doing you're doing okay <laughs> like <laughs> there's some good businesses in there and actually i know i mean like i know some of the co-investors in a couple of them and mm. you know they wax they wax lyrical and they they, they love the founders and the uh, and the business i i also think that I mean, what, one of the realizations, I think I wrote this on on Andy Iams, on one of Andy Iams' posts just the other day, uh, where he was talking about his kind of evolution of his his thesis around how he invests, how he angel invests. Um, and I, my response was like, I started off, yeah, I invest in, you know, I'm going to invest in wealth and uh, health and wellness, um, you know, in, in uh, social inclusion uh, and uh, knowledge economy and education and yada, yada, yada. And then, but what it's actually become is I'm going to invest in people that I can have a conversation with mm -hmm. who I believe are doing something that will be valuable uh, and that I can add value to. And in doing that, but the only way that I can really understand uh, uh, any of that is if I have had one multiple multiple conversations with 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 the founder yeah. there's no way i could make that decision off the back of a deck and a conversation um and i and i think again it's just it's bringing and i think as an angel so much of of investing is about what you bring to the table your networks your experience your ability to to support the founder yeah it can be as opposed to as opposed to just the cash mm. right um it can be but you know i'd also say that it, it, it it's okay if you can't help the founders that's fine um there are some of that portfolio that i cannot help at all and i'm absolutely delighted because sure. they're just on an absolute mission and they're brilliant yeah. um so yeah i think um a lot of angel investors inv invest in the the merely good that they can help be a bit better i'll take that on as a challenge and that's, that's good <laughs> that's uh that's that's not always good yeah. um but also you know i haven't got i mean i you know i've done a done a bunch of investing and that's fine but i I, I am what I call a pay-as-you-go investor. Yeah. So, I mean, I've had a few exits, but not like life-changing mega exits yet. Um, so I pay as I go. So I do some work and I save up some money and I mm. put that into companies and I sometimes syndicate that. Um, and I've worked with a couple of wealthy people um, who might invest as well. Um, so that's how I do it. So it's not like I'm, you know, You're not sitting on a ton of spraying yeah, yeah. In, in anything and everything. And I think, I think that's, again, it's quite difficult um, psychologically as well to pass on all of these things because there's so much interest in good stuff but I think if your objective is to you know invest in companies that make the world better okay that's great lots fit into that but really to you know make a lot of money mm. um, then you've got to be really serious about it and I want to be quite concentrated mm. and I'd rather do bigger checks into fewer companies because mm. I've seen that 
work mm. and if there's that decent analysis of the company and what they're trying to, of the founder and the company and what they're trying to do mm. yeah it's uh, it can be extremely successful yeah amazing um matthew it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast um for our audience where can they find you online? Are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Twitter? Where are the best places for them to find you? Uh, yeah, Twitter's good, at M Stafford. Go from there. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you.